As you remember last week, we were celebrating uh, another person who came to know Jesus for the first time, and before both services were over, uh, we need to celebrate again that four more people accepted Christ, and I want you to celebrate the life of Jesus and these brothers and sisters. Amen. I want to encourage you to continue to be looking for the people that God brings across your path that you can give a reason for your hope in Jesus. You know, in Acts, it tells us that we are to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you like power? I love power. I don't like it when things don't have power. When my truck doesn't have power, it's aggravating. I I want power. When I plug something in, I want there to be power. When I'm using a tool, it's much better to have a power tool than a hand tool. Power is good. And when we ask for the power of God, it's not just to keep doing what you're doing or to try to draw attention to yourself or to, to be wise or to be smart in your own strength. The power of God has given us, the book of Acts tells us, to be a witness for Him. Amen? I think sometimes in church we think about uh, being a witness and we uh, make it into something that's not at all what God's talking about. Sometimes you think about being a witness, you think of somebody who takes their Bible and beats people up and they try to just go uh, be obnoxious to somebody. Witness is to give testimony to what you've seen and you heard of Jesus. What has Jesus done in your life in the last seven days that you can allow the power of God to give you boldness to be speaking a word of encouragement to somebody? If you can't think about what Jesus has been doing in your life, then then press in today because God wants to reveal himself to you. Amen? I think three of you are convinced, but that's okay. Take your Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. We'll be there in just a minute. As you're turning, I want you to think of when the concept of eternity was something that you grasped. Now, I don't mean that you understand everything about eternity and all those things. In many ways, some of us, you can't comprehend how long eternity is. But when did you first understand eternity? As I was thinking this week, it was a little over 30 years ago when I accepted Christ as a child. My great-grandfather, Grandpa Bate, died. I I didn't know Grandpa Grandpa Bate very well. I just remembered going to his house. It was the house that didn't have water inside. And if you had to go to the bathroom, you had to go outside to this small shack. And it was cold and kind of weird. And uh, just that's what I remember about Grandpa Bate's house. But what grabbed my attention, what jolted me when Grandpa Bate died, was not so much that I had this, this long relationship with him. I didn't really know him that well. But it was the first time that it dawned on me that somebody could die. And it dawned on me that, What I'd heard people talk about, that there is a life after this life, and it goes on forever. And so, at the ripe age of six years old, I decided to confess all my deep, dark sins and ask Jesus to forgive me because I didn't want to spend eternity separated from Him. I can still remember vividly a few of the things the Holy Spirit put His finger on in my life. I can kind of chuckle at it now, but to a six-year-old, it was very... Real big business. I remember telling all my friends that I had to leave promptly at 4 o'clock, and I was always gone between the 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock hour because the Brady Bunch was on TV, and I wanted them all to think that I was behind that show because my name had the Brady in there. I never appeared on there. There was nobody who looked like me on there, but I told everybody I knew that, that I have to go because i got to go be a part of the Brady Bunch show. 
in, in a six-year-old mind, thinking I could fool people, I knew what I was saying was not right. I knew that it was fun saying it, and I wanted to say it anyway because I thought I could pull the wool over somebody's eyes. But that and a couple other things, and as life went on, there was more. The Lord began to convict me of things that I knew were wrong. Last week we talked about heaven and hell. And we looked at hell and saw that hell is a very real place and we can spend all of eternity separated from God. Today I want to continue in this two-part series as we look at heaven. And see, not only is there a hell for us to avoid, there's a heaven for us to gain. Charles E. Fuller is the founder of Fuller Theological Seminary and and he once announced that he'd be speaking on heaven the next Sunday, very much like I did last week. And uh, during the week, he received a beautiful letter from an old man who was very ill. And I want to read to you a little portion of the letter that was given to Dr. Fuller. Here's the letter. Next Sunday, you are to talk about heaven. I'm interested in that land because I have held a clear title to a bit of property there for over 55 years. I did not buy it. It was given to me without money. Or without a price. But the donor purchased it for me at a tremendous sacrifice. I'm not holding it for speculation since the title is not transferable. It's not a vacant lot. For more than a half of a century I've been sending material out of which the greatest architect and builder of the universe has been building a home for me which will never need to be remodeled. Never need to be repaired because it will suit me perfectly, individually, and it will never grow old. Termites can never undermine its foundation, for they rest on the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. Neither locks nor bolts will ever be placed upon its doors, for no vicious person can ever enter the land where my dwelling stands. It's almost completed and ready for me to enter in, to abide in peace eternally without fear of being ejected. There is a valley of deep shadow between the place where I now live and the journey that I will take in a short time. I cannot reach my home in the city of gold without passing through this dark valley of shadows. But I'm not afraid because the best friend I ever had went through the very same valley long ago and drove away all of its gloom. He has stuck by me through thick and thin since we first became acquainted 55 years ago. And I told his promise And I've been told of his promises that I hold in my hand that he will never forsake me or leave me. He will be with me as I walk through the very valley of the shadows, and I shall not lose my way when he is with me. I hope to hear your sermon on heaven next Sunday from my home here, but I have no assurance that I shall be able to do so. My ticket to heaven has no date marked for the journey. No return coupon. I'm not allowed to bring any baggage. Yes, I am ready to go, but I may not be there to hear you preach next Sunday, but I will meet you there someday. You know, this old guy who wasn't doing too well physically had a pretty good idea of what heaven would be like. Heaven or hell, what's the big deal? I think we need to have it rooted in our mind, even if we've heard it over and over again, be reminded that heaven is a place that we need to look forward to. This isn't just, well, I'm kind of glad I got out of hell. No, we need to be actively, daily thinking about heaven and the place we're going. Our permanent home in heaven. Our perfect home in heaven. Philippians 3.14 tells us, 
I press onward toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, if, if we don't think of heaven, there's very little direction in our life. And without direction, we become very unmotivated in life. If you find yourself going through a spiritual desert, allow your mind and your heart to begin to think about heaven. To begin to think that you are not a permanent citizen here. You have your citizenship somewhere else. You live as a foreigner in this land. This man who wrote this letter had a pretty good perspective on heaven. And he understood Jesus' words. The words that Jesus gave to his disciples in John 14 at verse 1. Listen as I read this. Don't, this, this is a paraphrase of this passage. Don't let this throw you. You trust God, don't you? Trust me. There is plenty of room for you in my father's home. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I'm on my way to get your room ready, I'll come back and get you so you can live where I live. And you already know the road I'm taking. See, the place that Jesus is preparing for us is heaven. Eternity with God. It kind of begs the question, well, what will heaven be like for us? If I'm to think about it, is is it just like what the cartoons tell us? Some clouds and some angels with some bed sheets on them and somebody with a bow and arrow shooting love into people's hearts? This is not the picture at all that Scripture gives us of heaven. Though we have just a few thumbnail sketches of heaven, we know for certain that there's eternity possible with Christ and eternity of separation from Christ. We know that the choices we make here on this earth will determine our destiny When it comes to heaven and hell. And though there may be some vague pictures. There's some important passages of scripture I want us to look at today. That can bring comfort to us. One of the best views we can have of heaven this side of eternity. Comes from a heavenly vision that God gave to the apostle John. And that's in Revelation chapter 21. Take your Bible and turn with me. If you have your Bible I want you to lift it up over your head. Lift your Bible up. If it's a tablet that's fine it counts. If it's a phone that counts. Very good. You can put your Bibles down. If, if you don't have a Bible here today, that's not to condemn you or anything. Uh, it's on the screen and it's in your notes. But I want to encourage you. It's your job to bring your Bible. It's my job to make it worth it for you. I want us not just to take a, a little section of Scripture and just kind of look at it and say, oh, isn't that nice? But see that this is right in the middle of all the things that God has promised. This fits within context of who He is and what He has done for us. And so take your Bible and, and look As I read Revelation 21, starting at verse 1. Then I saw, this is John talking as God gave him a vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Let's take a couple minutes and and look a little bit closer at this passage and see how God may want to encourage us from what he gives to John as a vision, a picture of heaven, and it's been intended for us to receive 
as God's kids. Look at verse 1. A new heaven and new earth. The idea of new here means a completely different order, a completely different set of events. Jot this down. Heaven will be more radically different than anything we know now. It's not just going to be a little bit of an improvement of life now. It's not just, you know, Earth 2.0 or just a little bit better. It is radically different than anything we know now. The old will have passed and the new will be here. When it comes to the new earth, it's not hard for us to think about things in our world that are messed up and to see how it could be improved. But what's with this new heaven? What will be radically different about a new heaven from the old? Well, I believe it's the difference is not so much in the substance, but in the proximity. Now listen to this. We, we heard last week that there's this great gulf, this separation from Heaven and from this world, and this world from hell. Separation from God. There's a distance, there's this gulf. The radical change at Judgment Day will be that the new heaven and new earth will be one together. Earth as we know it will be no more. Heaven as we anticipate it will be immediately present. Jot this down. Heaven will be more immediate than anything we know. The idea is reinforced in the phrase where John is describing, he says, and there was no longer any sea. Now, many scholars believe that in John's day, the sea symbolized this separation. It embodied their fear of the unknown. So when he makes this declaration in this new age, there will be no sea, it literally is telling us that there's no separation. There'll be no longer a distance from the new heaven and the new earth. See, friend, take hold today that heaven is your eternal home. It's your perfect, permanent home that is offered to you. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, Instead, these people who had faith, instead of looking around them, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly home. Philippians three ten. But our citizenship is in heaven. Begin to allow your mind to fix on Christ and think about that you and I are foreigners in this land. We don't belong here. If if this world doesn't seem fair, if it doesn't seem right, if it doesn't seem just, be encouraged. This is not your home. This is not where you're going to stay. We are to be in heaven with God for all of eternity. Every person who trusts in Jesus can look forward to this heaven. We are to think about it. We are to gaze upon it. We are to allow our hearts to be motivated in this life by what's coming in the next. This fear of the unknown that John's day had with this sea of separation, let it melt away in the light of the perfect revelation of the new heaven and new earth. Verse 2, we see this new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is an actual city. It's a city coming down from heaven. I can imagine this in my mind's eye. A number of years ago, I had an opportunity to go to Israel. And if you ever have that chance, um, it changes the way you read the Bible. The Bible doesn't change, but you can begin to picture and see the landscape and, and the type of people that were, were there, are still there, and all kinds of things that are a blessing. But it was a very clear day, and we went up to this hill, and, and the guide directed our attention to look over there, and they said, that's Jerusalem. And I could see it clearly. And when I read this passage, in my mind's eye, I can see The old Jerusalem, but coming down from heaven, a new Jerusalem. A a real 
tangible city that's described in the vision that God gave John. We begin to see that in this new Jerusalem, just like the Jews today and the Jews of old, they saw Jerusalem as the holiest place of all, the dwelling place of God. All throughout Israel's history, the prophets looked forward to the new Jerusalem. And, and we too, as God's kids, can look forward to this new Jerusalem, the very place God's presence will be. So when John talked about this new Jerusalem, he was saying, jot this down, heaven will be the fulfillment of lifelong dreams. Well, what do you mean, Brady? Well, what lifelong dreams? Well, God had been speaking to his people throughout history and giving them a prophetic word about what's to come. Isaiah speaks of this Jerusalem when he writes in Isaiah 54, O storm-battered city, troubled and desolate, I will rebuild you on a foundation of sapphires and make the walls of your houses from precious jewels. I will make your towers of sparkling rubies and your gates and walls of shining gems. Sounds a lot like John's description if you read the rest of chapter 21. Haggai also prophesied about a new Jerusalem. Listen to chapter 2, verse 9. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. And in this place I will bring peace. I, the Lord Almighty, have spoken. Ezekiel, the 48th chapter of his dream, his prophecy, had a very similar one. And if you read it, it's almost identical to this. And at the end of it, he sums it up in verse 35. And from that day, the name of the city will be, the Lord is there. This new Jerusalem, it will fulfill the hopes and the dreams that God has given to us. I don't have time this morning to consider all the symbolism and all the dimensions and characteristics of this holy city. But I I believe that heaven... This new Jerusalem will be a place where lifelong dreams will be fulfilled. In heaven, there will be the realization of God's eternal blessings. The things that he has promised us, the blessings he has given to us, they will be realized, they will be seized there in heaven. When John made this declaration of new Jerusalem, the heart of every Jew would have would have woken up because they had been hanging on to the expectancy of the fulfillment of these prophecies. They had labored, they had prayed, they had worked for so long, and and they believed that this is when it would come. Do you have any lifelong dreams that have not been fulfilled? I don't just mean your dreams of sports stardom as a kid. But are there things that have been promised to you from the Lord? Things that you believe are God's will that you haven't seen come to pass yet? Scripture tells us we will receive their full blessing in heaven. Hebrews 11. All these people who had lived by faith had not received the things promised them. Have you read that? That aggravates me. These people who are heroes of the faith, amazing godly people who had been living for God, they didn't receive any of the things that were promised them. Well, God, that's not fair. If we only live for this life, that attitude's right. It's not fair. But God never, ever intended us to live with such a short scope. He wants us to live with our eyes fixed on heaven, and He will begin to fulfill every promise He has given to us in this place. It's a realization of God's eternal blessings. The dwelling of God 
is with men. Verse 3. Without a doubt, the greatest thing we will experience in heaven is that we will be face to face with Jesus. Face to face with the Father. Jot this down. Heaven will be seeing God personally. No more will man have to hide his face from the glory of God. It won't be like Moses where he had to hide in the side of a mountain and kind of turn away as God would move by. No, we can see him in all of his glory. And we will be made like him, the scripture tells us. For the dwelling of God is with men. Literally, he'll be with us. Heaven will be enjoying God perfectly. The Bible says that we will know even as we have been known. Nothing will be a mystery anymore. You know those questions that you have that you sometimes think, I can't wait till I get to heaven, so I'm going to ask God this. For a long time, I've wanted to ask God, why did you make mosquitoes? I understand the chain of life and everything, but this makes no sense. Why would you make mosquitoes? Now, if you have a, an answer to that, don't come tell me because I still don't like mosquitoes. But we all have some kind of question that aggravates us. Guess what? When we get to heaven, it won't even be on your mind. You won't be able to think about it. Because there, in God's glory, face to face, we will be in awe of who He is. We will know as we have been known. There will be a full knowledge of who He is right there in His presence. Now some of us are carrying around questions that are much bigger than why did God make mosquitoes. You may be carrying around, God... Why did you let this happen to me? God, why did you let them get away with it? God, this seems to be so unfair. And friend, I'm not trying to minimize your pain today, but I want you to realize once you get to heaven, that will no longer be on your mind. You will know as you are known, and you will see the face of God, and it will not matter anymore because God will be there. It's kind of hard for us to grasp sometimes because we feel some kind of satisfaction with hanging on to the hurt and pain. But I believe that's one of the key reasons why God says, let your eyes be fixed on Jesus. Look to the next world so you can begin to let these things go. Friend, all over Scripture it says, if you are persecuted, if you have trials of many kinds, take joy because you are with Jesus. Sorry, I startled a few in the front row. I get stomping. I didn't mean to. I'm not a glutton for punishment. I'm not hoping that you suffer this week. But I'm telling you what your Bible says. It says that you were not made for just this life. We have hope given to us in eternity with God. Verse 4, we begin to see that heaven will be wonderful because not only God is there, but there will be some things that are noticeably absent in heaven that bring great peace to us. Verse 4, no more death or mourning or crying or pain. All of these are part of the former things, and they are part of the the way of the fallen world. Death that wraps its tentacles around us. Grief that rolls over us like waves. Weeping that testifies to the pain around us. We won't experience anymore. But in heaven, the old order of things will pass away. This literally means that all the pain will be gone. Now think about it. Heaven will be pain-free. Some of you in this room, you live with chronic pain every single day. Those of you who don't live with pain, I want you to think about when you had surgery or you pulled a muscle or you got violently ill and and you were in pain. 
You may be a big baby like me. When I'm hurting, I want everybody around me to know. I mean, I don't try to be just a baby. I just want you to know that I'm hurting. I believe God allows us to experience some of that, to identify with our brother and sister who wake up morning after morning after morning with chronic pain. That person who responds cranky to you, you have no idea the pain that they're living with. Physical, emotional, spiritual pain. But friend, every pain in heaven will be gone. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more diseased organs in our body. There's no more sickness. God will take a man. When I hear some of your stories, it breaks my heart. And I wish I could say some simple words that would alleviate the pain, but you and I both know that doesn't do any good. And if this life ended at death, it would be so unfair and it would be so wrong. But friend, God has chosen not to give us what we deserve, an eternal separation from Him. And if we trust in Jesus Christ with our life, there will be no more pain in heaven. That's enough to wake me up. That's enough to make me say, okay, maybe I need to think about this place some more. Maybe I need to let my mind go here a little bit more. Heaven, at this place, will be trouble-free. How many times have you faced a thorny problem or a troubling situation and prayed, Lord, just take me now. It just seems like it's too much to bear. There'll be no more trouble, no more pain of any kind. Never again will death tear a loved one away from your grasp. Never again will grief wrap its dark web around you. Never again will tears of sorrow fill your eyes. Never again will pain stab your flesh. Never again. For God himself declares, I am making everything new. It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Who is this heaven for? For every person who trusts in me. Verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit all of this. This perfect paradise is available to every person. Heaven is reserved for those who embrace the Father's love. Remember last week we talked about how God doesn't send anybody to hell. This is a a lie from Satan that perverts the truth. To end up in hell, you have to sidestep and walk around the cross of Jesus. You have to choose to do your own way over what God is calling out to you. And you, in disobedience, walk right off the edge of eternity and to separation with Him. Remember last week we saw that to live in this life in separation from God is to live in the next life in separation from God in eternity. The flip is true as well. To live in this life in relationship with God through Jesus Christ is to live the next life in eternity with the Father. I want to encourage you this morning to allow your heart to think about heaven. Well, I've heard the phrase, Pastor, that some people are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. I've heard that too, and and I don't get it. I mean, maybe they're trying to say that someone has their head in the clouds or something like that. But friend, we all could have a dose of being more heavenly minded to be of use here on earth. Well, what we do in heaven We will praise and worship God forever and ever. 
some associate that with church and think, well, church is boring, so heaven's going to be really boring. Friend, if worshiping God is boring to you, then you, you need to ask God to wake you up. Because when you see him face to face, we can't do anything but help but lift our hand in praise. Now, guess what? God made you different than me. You worship God the way he made you. But don't let an excuse be because you just prefer to be something else. Reserved. Or quiet. If you're reserved and quiet, then worship God like this and quiet like this. That's fine. But just make sure that's the way you do everything else in life. When the Colts lose again. <laughs> I believe that will happen. Don't just go, oh, I can't believe it. Be so expressive. Allow that to be a part of how you worship God. All of eternity will worship Him. So what's the key thought? We are to focus on heaven. And when we do, the size of our problems will diminish around us. That is a key for somebody here today. God will bring a healing to every single person in the ultimate healing in heaven. He heals some here on earth. He heals everybody in heaven. But you keep your eyes fixed on heaven and it will shrink the size of the pain and the trouble that you have. See, living for heaven is to be embracing the rewards that are yet to come. I want you now to close your eyes with me and I want you to imagine in your mind the moment in your life when you had the greatest joy that you can remember. For some of you, it's a picture of when you were a kid and there was something happening that was just filled with joy. I want you to think about that. Others, it was your wedding day. Others, it was when you held your son or your daughter in their arms for the first time. Some of you, it's when you were standing on the peak of that mountain and you were overcome with the the greatness of the scene. Some, you're by a rushing, mighty river. I want you to imagine what you felt at that moment. Scripture tells us that heaven is so far greater than any joy we've ever had here on earth that you can't even compare it. It's so amazingly better, radically better. At this time, I want to invite you to stand with me. And as you stand, I want you in a moment, if you are seated next to somebody that's your friend or your family member, someone you know, I want you to ask him a question in just a second. Now, if you're Seated by someone you don't know, you don't have to do this, okay? If this scares you, then just stand there and stare at me or stare at your shoes, that's fine. But especially if you're seated next to someone you know, in a second, I want you to turn to them, look them in the eyes, and I want you to ask them, are you ready to go to heaven? And I don't just mean, are you ready to go to a big party? I I mean, is there anything in your life that would cause you to doubt if you're ready to go to heaven? Now, here's the great news. If there is a doubt in your mind, you can have full assurance before you walk out today. There is no reason why you have to live not knowing if you would embrace heaven. But I want you right now, turn to the person who's next to you. If you know them, if you don't, it's okay. You can skip this. Look them in the eyes and say, are you ready to go to heaven? Go for it right now. Look them in the eyes. Now, for those of you who just said, yes, I'm ready, over the next couple minutes, I want you to pray and thank your Father for the mansion He's building for you, the presence of the Lord that will overwhelm you for, I think, the first 20 million years. We're just going to be in awe of His presence right there. I can't even think of asking you anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm just stunned. 
I want you to thank Him for that. Allow your mind to go there. Scripture tells us, allow yourself to think about where your citizenship is. It's not here. Now, for those of you who had doubt, or you said, I don't know, or maybe you didn't talk to anybody and you're not sure, when I pray, in your mind, I want you right where you're standing, I want you to pray with me. It's not so important that you say the words exactly like I do, but it's very important that your heart is these words. Out of a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of repentance, let's pray together. Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters in this room who, they have a doubt in their mind if there's something blocking their relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you'll put your finger on that right now, that act of disobedience, that willful decision to do their own way, not your way, God. Convict them. Brother, sister, if that's you in your mind, I want you to just pray in your heart with me something to this effect. Father God, thank you for pointing out the disobedience in my life. Jesus, I'm going to ask you to forgive me for my sin. I don't want to pretend any longer. I know I can't do it, but with your help, I want to live my life radically different for you. Thank you, God, for saving me. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Church, as we close this morning, I can't think of a better way for us to respond to the Word of God than what I believe all of us are going to be doing, no matter if you like music or not. When we get to heaven. And so I want you for the next couple of seconds to allow your heart to be thinking about your eternal home with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit in heaven. And I want you to let your heart freely give praise to Him. Let's respond in obedience as we worship together.